Now on Food FM, you're listening to Bread and Butter with Caroline Kenyon. Caroline and her guests make sense of the world through food, from politics to farming, making and cooking. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Hello, I'm Caroline Kenyon and it's my enormous pleasure to welcome you to the latest edition of Bread and Butter. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hi, Caroline. And today we are talking about a really happy subject. Who doesn't feel like smiling when they hear the word cake? So cake is the topic of today. And welcome to my three wonderful guests who exemplify expertise, knowledge and general brilliance in different areas relating to cake. Andrew, Andrew Baker, welcome. Tell us about you. Uh, well, I'm uh, uh, an English writer and author. I am a baker by name, but not a baker by training. I am a keen consumer of every kind of baked goods. And I've always been, um, throughout my life, a very great fan of cakes. So I've written a book about cakes. I've written a book about cakes and Britain. and uh, It's called Cake, A Slice of British Life. And it's a history of cake in Britain, what it means to us as a nation and what cake means to me as a keen consumer and lover of cake. Fantastic. Well, a huge thank you, Andrew, because I will share a a secret that is your book that has provided the occasion for this wonderful conversation. So we're extremely grateful. Loria, tell us about you. Well, hello there. Uh, my name is Loria Stern. I am a self-taught chef and baker based out of Los Angeles, California. I run a cookie and cake and other confections business. I use a lot of edible botanicals in my baking and decorating. So I would say that's what I'm most known for. Wonderful. Thank you. And Stephen, last but not least. Stephen, Stephen Hallam. I'm now a retired baker. Um, been a baker all my life. That's what my passport says. It, it doesn't say I was MD of Dickinson and Morris in Melton Mowbray, where for the last, well, 28, 30 years, I sort of managed the direction of the old pork pie shop and uh, pork pies was uh, my raison d'etre, so to speak. But I have a huge interest in bread, confectionery. I was president of the Bakers and Confectioners Association and uh, amongst the association there there's 60 members spread all over the uk and i dare say andrew in your book you visited many of them and partook of all their their fabulous confections i'm sure i did fantastic Um, so thank you Stephen. and i think there's one rather exciting thing that you've modestly um omitted from your great um cakes curriculums uh vitae and that's that you are a judge in Pink Lady Food Photographer of the Year for their very new award called the Tip Tree Cake Award, the world's most beautiful photograph of cake. Indeed, Caroline, yes. I'm very much looking forward to it. I will, my mind's eye, I have this uh, vision of a cake that has wow factor, a fabulous appearance. And I'd be quite keen that it's the cake that holds centre stage. All the props and, and, and everything else may be very important in producing that photo, but uh, it's the cake that's the hero. Lovely. Here's to the cake. I'm just wondering, just, I mean, let's, let's just kind of think about cake and, and what it means to us. I mean, it seems to me, Andrew, you can probably comment on this, that cake 
features in almost every kind of cultural celebration, doesn't it? I think that's one of the the main things about cake. One of the things that drew me to it as an author, as a subject, is that cake is there at all the important points in our life. It tends to be there as a source of celebration, um, but also as a source of comfort and as a kind of point of significance. I mean, it marks our birthdays. It marks our weddings. It's sometimes present at a funeral. It's also there at at kind of significant professional moments as well as personal moments. So you'll often find cake in the background. If you look through your photo file, um, you'll find that there's a cake in the background at almost all the most important occasions in your life. So it's, it's, it's a constant in our lives. And that's why I wanted to look a little more closely at, at what it means to us, as well as the history, what it actually means to us emotionally. It's an important thing, as well as a lovely thing. I think it's a significant thing in our lives. I love that. And I'm just wondering, Laurie, is that how you were drawn to cake? Because you say that you're a self-taught baker, and I, I look in awe at your creations. I can't believe that you're self-taught. But it, listening to what Andrew was saying, is that part of the reason why you are attracted to it as a, a medium for your artistic skills. Yeah, that's, you know, listening to Andrew speak, I felt a sense of emotion <laughs> about what he was talking about because it is true. And I haven't really thought of it in that sense until now. But, um, but yeah, I mean, for, for me, the beginning, I remember when I it clicked for me, like, wow, I want to work in the culinary industry. This is really something that I want to do. It was when a friend of mine was getting married and asked me to make her wedding cake. And she knew at the time I was, um, I was working as a private chef cooking for families mostly. And I was younger, you know, I was in my twenties and I was self-taught and um, I was just cooking recipes that the kids liked. And it was basic things, Um, you know, mac and cheese, chicken tenders, things like, you know, American things like that. Right. The kids like to eat. Uh, so I remember making this wedding cake and at the time, you know, this was in 2011, 2010, it was, it was years ago and there wasn't much information out there for, for, for people like me who, um, are very self-taught DIY bakers. So I was looking on YouTube, I was reading every book I could find and teaching myself how to make this wedding cake and tear it and putting it together and, and uh, delivering it, which was the most (laughs) stressful part. And it still is actually, but anyway, um, but after making her, my friend's cake for her wedding and feeling everyone's joy eating it. And for me, the joy and almost, um, it was a sense of accomplishment making this thing. And as you know, it was lopsided looking back now that I can make these perfect cakes it was lopsided. It was a little funky and it was kind of decorated. Like, I don't know, a little embarrassing maybe, but everyone loved it and everyone was so happy and it really did tie in the moment of their wedding. And it, and ever since then I was hooked on the emotional kind of connection that that gave me. And I think, I mean, what an honor that your friend asked you and how lovely that it changed the course of your life. I tell her still. And I tell her how thankful I am. And, and, you know, at the time I I was resistant. I said, no, I don't, you know, I don't know how to do this. And she kind of pushed me. Yes, you do. 
you're going to, it's going to be great. It's going to be beautiful. And I just, I don't know. I don't know. So finally, you know, I said, ah, I'll do it because she's my friend and, you know, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> yeah. And the rest it, is history. Yeah. Very That's true. fantastic. And Stephen, I know that you had a rather more, um, well, you had a very uh, rigorous professional training as a baker. And I know that you spent some time in Germany and then you ended up on the QE2 cruise ship as a patissier, didn't you? So rather a different experience from Laurie's. Yes, I think I, I didn't know when I go back many, many years, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I, I left college and what have you. And Rather than be at home and doing nothing, uh, in which other holiday it was, I was told by my father, who had a bakery, that I was going to help out in the bakery. And uh, for two years, I continued to do that. And, and what was washing up and doing all what I consider to be the important things to give you a good grounding. I found that this whole process of taking ingredients of whatever they were and uh, making them into whatever it might be, uh, and then giving pleasure to somebody just and in such a short space of time you know if you're making a loaf of bread well depending on the type of bread but it, it can be in a couple of hours or it can be two or three days uh, and a cake uh, from simplicity of just basic ingredients of three ingredients to a lot more depending on what you're making and, and it just gives joy uh, and I think the the thing about cake is it brings a smile straight away to people's face. It brings happiness. There's, they don't always have to be sweet, but generally there's a touch of uh, a sweetness in there from wherever that may come. It starts with the appearance, doesn't it? You know, and a cake, like many other uh, items in baking, is all about the senses. And um, assuming you have the knowledge and the skill to make the cake correctly, because it's a science, it's, it's not an art. Greatest respect to chefs. Chefing is a little bit of an art, where a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And in, in my time in a bakery, you know, sometimes the worst person to have in a bakery is a chef because they don't want to weigh things. Uh, a little scoop of this and a scoop of that. And, and it, in the kitchen, a busy restaurant kitchen, the chefs have this, good chefs have the ability to put a little bit of this, a bit of that in a sauce. And if it's not right, add a bit of sugar or a bit of double cream to give the mouth texture and all that and bring it back. But when you come to baking, you know, it's called a pound cake for a reason. And the four basic ingredients have to be in balance. That there's the same amount of sugar as there is fat, as there is egg, as there is flour. And if there isn't, you'll have a fault. Something will go wrong. And, and that, you, you, whatever you're making in the baking world, it is down to this sort of understanding of, of using a recipe, the science behind it all, which you may or may not know. But if you follow a recipe and the recipe is correctly balanced, you, you, you're, you're in a good position to start with. I think I've understood finally why I'm not a very good baker. It's because I'm not very scientific. <gasps> so there we are. I can live with it now at my great age. Andrew, just listening to all of that, I'm just wondering how much that kind of makes sense of this kind of great project you've done. And I have to say, as a kind of former journalist myself, 
when I saw the uh, announcement of your book and I saw what the project was, I just felt this massive pang of envy. I thought, what well, you know, that is the literally the most jammy commission ever to go around Britain eating cake. But um, yes, listening to Loria and Stephen, does this chime with your learnings from your lovely travels? It does. And I think um, I, I have complete respect for both the, the love and the emotion and the, the, the friendship aspect that Loria has referenced, and also very much for Stephen's emphasis on, on the science and the method. You know, this is a, it's a serious business, and it's also a serious uh, emotional and social commitment. But what I found was that, um, and, and this is not an original point, but I found that cake is a, is a wonderful way to unlock people's memories and to unlock their emotions and their deepest feelings. And, you know, other authors have noticed this. There's a, a French guy called Marcel Proust, for instance, um, you know, who started off one of the most famous novels ever written, which is more than a million words long. Uh, the emotional starting point of A la Recherche du Temps Perdu is a piece of cake dipped into a, a, a glass of herbal tea. So we know that, and, and that sets off an extraordinary train of, of memories and an exploration of memory itself. So I found that as soon as I started to think about cake, I had a, a kind of keyhole to my earliest childhood memories. And I also found that it worked just as well on other people. My mother is 99 years old, still with us, and still has all of her faculties and I was able, by talking to her about cake, I mean, she can't remember much about what happened last week, but she can remember quite a lot about the cakes that she ate 90 years ago. So it's a wonderful way of traveling back in time by talking to her about the cakes that she ate in the 1920s to access her memories and memories of her mother, which take us back into the reign of Queen Victoria. And that set me off down a historic route towards the very earliest cakes, not in my personal history, but in British history. And it was unquestionably a very enjoyable, not overly challenging idea to travel around Britain eating cake everywhere I went. But there was a certain amount of research as well. <laughs> it wasn't just eating cake. Uh, so I did look up a fair bit of history and I talked to a lot of people. And I decided I wanted to eat each cake that I was writing about in a place that was relevant to that cake. So that's the kind of geographical logic behind the book is that I felt I had to make a kind of cake pilgrimage in each case to eat the true version, the true slice of each cake in a place that was relevant to it. So it wasn't, I accept your comment. It was a an extremely pleasant experience, but I did set myself some rules. I have to say, it sounds pretty blissful to me. But, um, Laurie, I'm just really intrigued to know what, you know, about the cake culture and history in America, because, I mean, obviously, you know, in the 18th century, they would have been pretty pretty closely allied to what was happening over here in, in Britain. But I imagine that you've, you know, plowed your own cake furrow since then. I mean, I'm thinking of things like pumpkin pie, which isn't strictly a cake, but there are things that are very uniquely American in terms of cake, aren't there? 
Yeah, there definitely are. Uh, I can't really speak to the knowledge that Andrew speaks to because I haven't done enough research on my own. I'm more of just a maker than than a researcher or, you know, or knowing the history of anything. But I will say that, you know, it's typical in America to have layered birthday cakes. Um, there's also been a really interesting history of decorating, you know, from, from over the years. And I think it it's also speaks, the decorating style speaks to uh, the time and culture and what's going on in America, which is also really interesting and could be a whole book on its own, Andrew, if you feel like that's some good inspiration <laughs> to, to write up. I would I would buy that book. I'm interested in it. But um, but yeah, and, and you know, and, and wedding cakes, too, you know, they're typically tiered and tall for, you know, big celebration. I'm pushing for divorce cakes and also um, other cakes to celebrate things in life that are also worth celebrating, like starting a business, because that's hard. <laughs> and keeping a business going, there needs to be things to celebrate that. So maybe, uh, you know, I can help forge that way in, in American um, tradition. But, you know, as to your point, there's also pies, pumpkin pie, apple pie, pecan pie, those are the three pies for Thanksgiving that everyone in America wants. If you're offering a different sort of pie, it's not as popular. And I'm sure that speaks true in um, in the UK too. You know, it's is it mincemeat? Is that what you all want for Christmas? You know, certain certain uh, particular treats that are traditional and bring evoke memory and bring emotion to an event and tradition, right? So I think it's the same in different countries and probably all over the world. It's you know, there's nostalgic treats for occasions and and um, celebrations and holidays, right? So <laughs> I think as, as Andrew said, um, you know, that when you, you taste cake, it sort of works on your brain in such an immediate way to, to, to bring pleasure yeah. or evoke memory, you know, speaking of Proust. And, and Stephen, when you were on the QE2, I imagine you were making very exquisite little cakes, weren't you? And I suppose that was because, you know, they're, the passengers are they've come for a very luxury experience and they want everything to look very beautiful and and that's all part of the both the kind of taste sensation but the emotional sensation and the expectation of uh, you know having uh, going on a holiday and you've paid up front and and all all of that my yeah my role on there um it was interesting two things uh tabnabs which is merchant navy uh, speak for afternoon tea cakes and uh, petit fours. Petit fours were, were served after dinner. And depending where the ship was, um, what nationality of people were on board and where the cruising was would determine how many trays of cakes you need. So generally on the Western Atlantic, so Northern Atlantic, sorry, so New York, Southampton, um, something like 30, 35 baker's trays worth of afternoon tea cakes were needed every day. So somebody would do a Claire's, somebody else would do a Madeira cake, slab cake, one with fruit, one without. Somebody would do a an almond tart, congress tart, <clears throat> something you don't see in the UK very much nowadays, sadly. 
And I was, oh yes, there was a jam tart as well, a very sort of basic confection, sweet pastry with strawberry jam in, simple. Uh, but done properly, and a nice sweet pastry as opposed to a short pastry, and nice and crisp, lovely. My role was two or three, let, let's call it uh, upmarket fancy patisserie uh, type confections. And um, yes, they could. You, you're making hundreds all the time. It, it was really was a production line to do it. And then the, the petit fours in the evening, um, well, they're sweet treats, aren't they? And, and uh, marzipan and, and chocolates. And, and uh, cause we all know all about chocolates, of course, Andrew, from a, another book that uh, you've written. But the indulgence that, that uh, chocolate sort of brings, especially after dinner. Um, but yes, that was a long time ago. But that that was an expectation as well. And that was it's afternoon tea, which uh, is a classic sort of time to be eating cake. It doesn't have to be in the afternoon, but uh, there's lots of other occasions, of course. Listening to, I mean, you used the word indulgence, which I think is a really interesting word. You know, we live in such a kind of health aware age. And I do think that, that cake has had a bit of a bad rap because there's this whole emphasis on diet and dare I say it, you know, obesity and so on. I mean, I, how, how are we going to navigate this without losing our sense of joy? Because I feel like life without cake would be very cheerless, wouldn't it? So, Well, I, I'll, 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 ju- I'll jump in on this. You go I'll jump it. in on this, Caroline. Yeah, you, you know, the, the cake, whatever the cake is, it needs to look good. Uh, for, for you to, to strike your appearance. So we, let, let's take that for granted. And, and your cakes, Laurie, are well, you know, they, they uh, should, should be in the, in the Tate uh, because they look so fabulous. But you, you can't get the mouthfeel. You can't get the enjoyment. You can't get, gosh, that was nice. And a really good uh, judge of how good a, a cake is is do you want another slice? Or uh, would you recommend it to a friend? Would you buy it again? Very, very simple things. And more often than not, not always, but more often than not, you do need sugar, you do need egg, you do need butter. Um, And there's nothing wrong with those ingredients. But the quantity that you eat is the key thing here. So if if you've got a six-inch round cake in front of you, you don't have to eat. I wouldn't expect you to eat all of it, as delicious as it is. So it does come down to some self-control in in all of this, and and that is what affects the waistline, Uh, uh, rather than replacing butter with some fat-free substitute, taking sugar out, um, uh, uh, not putting fresh cream in, uh, and etc etc nothing wrong with using all these ingredients that some part of the media are only too anxious to treat as, as uh, bad for your health and salt is another ingredient but let's not get started on that it's the balance isn't it in all of this Absolutely. Laurie, I was just wondering, bearing in mind you're you're based in L.A. and we do think of L.A. as the sort of the health focused part of uh, America and everybody's very fit and beautiful. I must say you look very fit and beautiful to me. So, I mean, do people ask you for low fat cakes? And oh, gosh, yes, (laughs) I get I get uh, 
questions and inquiries about sugar-free cakes, vegan cakes, paleo cakes, whatever the current popular diet is at this time. Um, and I try to accommodate as much as I can, but at the end of the day, you know, a sugar-free cake is not going to taste good. I'm sorry, it's not. And, um, and you know, I'm not a fan of um, a vegan buttercream with a plant-based butter. It's not what I think will ever taste good. So I, you know, I, I have developed a couple recipes for uh, these specific diets, but they're limited. So for example, I can do a vegan cake, I can do a grain-free cake, but it has to be a chocolate cake. Uh, um, a flourless chocolate cake sort of recipe is the only thing that I will make <laughs> because I don't want to use ingredients that don't taste good, you know? So, um, so yeah, it is interesting when you say that, especially in California, where everyone is health conscious and has their own dietary, you know, preferences, <laughs> that it, it changes what cake is. At the end of the day, it is about celebration. So if everyone at the party doesn't eat sugar and this cake is sugar-free and tastes good, then it's still, in my eyes, a cake that's <laughs> worth celebrating, right? No, that that makes complete sense. And I'm sure that sometimes you have to kind of bite your tongue and not say anything. And, you know, the client is king and all of that. But I think we're pretty much all on the same page. Andrew, did you discover this in your travels, a kind of modern awareness of cake that... Um, that we needed to make it, dare I say, it, less cakey, or are we still in Britain and we still very, very traditional? I think there's a um, there's two things to say here. One, the first, the most important thing is, and I think that Stephen and Loria have both kind of said this in, in their own way, is that a cake, a slice of cake, is uh, is a moment of joy, and it's it's a moment of conscious indulgence. And I, I think the important thing is that, you know, in our modern lives, we consume, we're conscious of, you know, what we consume. And many of us try to eat healthily in our everyday lives, which is absolutely fine. But a cake is a, is a moment of enjoyment. It's a moment of, of indulgence. And I think that it's something that need that, that, that people embrace as that, as a treat. Nobody lives on cake all day, every day, not even me when I'm researching a book like this. You know, I did practice moderation. Otherwise, I would not have lived to have finished the book. But I think it's an important moment of joy. And the other thing is that cake, cake evolves over time and the ingredients in cake evolve over time. And there are, uh, as Loria has suggested, and Stephen, of course, knows, there are many ways of making cakes with the ingredients that you have to hand to suit the audience that's going to consume your cake. You know, there are ways of making cakes that anyone, whatever their um, dietary restrictions and whatever the reasons are for those restrictions, there are ways of making cakes that they can enjoy. And in fact, one of the most famous cakes in British cuisine, um, the chocolate nemesis from the River Cafe in Hammersmith, it's an Italian recipe, of course, but that's a flourless chocolate cake that is very justly celebrated the world over that arose not through medical dietary restriction, but through 
restrictions to do with the calendar and festivals in the in the Italian way of life. So there are there are wonderful cakes that can come out of um, restrictions on ingredients in one way or another. But the important thing is that a cake is a source of joy and it should be embraced as such. What a lovely note on which to start drawing our conversation to an end. I'm so sorry that we are running out of time. But before we go, I'd love to hear everybody's most favourite cake memory. Loria, have you got one that you'd like to share with us? I have so many running through my mind right now, but I would say it's tied between the memory that I told you about, the first wedding cake I ever made, and the joy that it brought me, seeing the joy it brought others, and also a big challenge cake that I made while I delivered in 2019, and it was a 27-layer cake of six tiers. So that was crazy. (laughs) It was multiple feet tall and it was stunning. So how exciting. I felt very proud of myself. (laughs) I'm sure you did. We'd love to see a photograph of that, Laura. So if you can send that to us, we can share that with all our followers. It would be wonderful. Thank you. Andrew, what about you? I I go back to the kitchen of my childhood home more than half a century ago now and not exactly a cake but I'm in my memory I am dipping sponge fingers into a bowl of birds custard and that's what I it's a a memory from a very 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 long time ago but the sponge finger I remember the texture it's it's kind of crumblier than the sponge of a sponge cake but it soaks up the custard from the bowl. And that takes me back probably to the age of five, a very, very, very long time ago. So that's a very early, very basic cake memory that will always be with me. That's so lovely. I, my mother used to call them boudoir biscuits. Did your well, mother Well, there call you are. Them? You were brought up there in a posher home than I was. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. But it used to make me think that were there ladies in the 18th century who'd sit in their boudoir dipping those fingers into maybe milk or something. But bird's custard sounds pretty gorgeous. Very likely. And, the sponge finger is... is um, it's a very ancient invention, and, and the, the texture of a sponge finger is probably very much like sponge cake was in the 15th or 16th century, the very earliest recipes we have for it. So there's a connection to the upper-class households of royal families in Europe hundreds of years ago. Absolutely. So there was the little five-year-old Andrew dipping his sponge fingers in the custard, little knowing that he would be author of this magisterial work all those years later. <laughs> Stephen, what about your your happy cake memory? Well, it's not actually a memory of a single cake. Mine is a compilation of all the fabulous cakes that I've seen in my travels all through the UK. I will never, ever see a baker's shop without crossing the road to look in the window. And I'm drawn to it. It's a magnetism. I'm drawn to it. I have memories of that. I have memories of seeing fabulous cakes wherever I've been when I was working on the ship, when I was working at Lucerne in Switzerland, uh, in in Spain on holiday, uh, New York, where I've been a number of times. Wherever I am in the world, there are always different cakes. And that brings me back really to 
how fabulous I find it here in the UK. So I'm picking on the UK because that's where I am and where I live. The importance, I feel, of uh, bakers maintaining the regional specialities of cakes. And, and the, the, wherever you go, north, south, east and west, the southwest, northeast, it'll all be in Andrew's book, I'm sure. I, I think that's it, it, it's absolutely fabulous that it's there, it's still upheld. And it'll still be there forever in another 50, 60 years, the, these regional specialities. So that's my really uh, uh, favourite cake memories. Lovely. Thank you so much. I could talk for hours to you three. Thank you. I've loved it. Talking about one of my and many people's favourite subjects. Andrew, wishing you very well uh, on publication day of your new book about cake. And Stephen, looking forward to seeing what you and the other judges choose as the world's most beautiful cake in the inaugural Tip Tree Cake Award. Take care, everyone. Take care. Thanks, Thanks, Caroline. You're listening to Bread and Butter with Caroline Kenyon. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. 